Invitation song, 277, I have decided to follow Jesus. Glad again to be here, the opportunity for to be here. It's, it's been a while. A lot of things have happened since I've seen a lot of you in my life as well as others. And whenever uh, Brother Rye asked me to speak here, I said, yes, I'd love to. And, and he asked if I, what name of Jesus, and you know, and he said, we've got Emmanuel. I said, that's it right there. We all know what that means, God with us. And you know, whenever you're going through big trials, and we have over the last two or three years in this country, gone through some of the biggest trials we probably ever imagined. COVID, an election, and elections in and of it by itself, one of the biggest trials that you ever go through, and, and when you start thinking about it, you start thinking about everything else that's going on. And, and, and then in the midst of all of that, we experience loss. We have people that died from COVID. We have people that are still struggling with so many different things. We don't know, you know, it just feels like your life is out of control. Amen. And you don't know what to do. Most of you know that, again, in the middle of all of this, I lost one of my children. Not to COVID, a heart attack. 35 years old. And I'm trying to do what I can to help my grandchildren and my daughter-in-law. And I tell you what, that's why this subject of Emmanuel, God with us, really resonates with me. When you feel like your life is out of control, when you feel like you have no control over anything anymore, that's when you're driven to your knees, and that's when you're thankful that you know that God is still in charge. And I believe that with all of my heart and with every fiber of my being, God is still in charge. You need to know that and understand that. We understand that as you start looking at how God revealed himself in the Old Testament and comes on up to the New Testament with the revelation of Jesus Christ, God has on numerous occasions tried to show himself. Obviously in the Garden of Eden he had a relationship with Adam and Eve. And really when we start thinking about this whole idea of Isaiah 7, 14, and Matthew chapter 1, the fulfillment of that. You have to really all the way, go all the way back to John, uh, Genesis chapter 3, when man sinned. And you have to come to the realization that God, even before that, had planned out our plan of salvation. He shows himself, or did try to show himself, through a burning bush to Moses. Whenever they built the tabernacle, he came down in smoke. And everybody was in awe and fearful. Whenever he actually then, shortly after that, whenever they go on and then build the temple, he comes down in a cloud on that. He wanted his people to know that he is with them. He wanted his people to know that he had not given up on them. And that he expects something out of his people. It was evident whenever his glory filled the tabernacle, Exodus 25 at verse 3, and 40, chapter, or chapter 40, verse 35 through 36, whenever he came in the temple. But I guess the greatest manifestation, no, I don't guess, I know, is when he came to earth as a man. When you start looking at Isaiah, the passage that we find the prophecy concerning 
the child that was going to come. I always find it interesting when I'm teaching in a Bible class or I'm teaching at the Georgia School of Preaching, I always want the context. Uh, one guy emphasized the idea, never, 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 never leave the context of a passage. So often, a lot of times, we try to get passages and remember passages, and we kind of take them out of their context, and, and we make passages say things that God never intended for them to say. You've got to get the context of what's happening right now. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is called to be, the pro to be a prophet. And he then begins to do what the Lord wants and expects of him to do. And it seems like as you're reading the context that he is sent immediately to the new king of Judah, a fellow by the name of Ahaz. Now, Ahaz's father had and was one of the very few good kings of Judah, Jotham had actually lived his life in such a way to where he was setting a good role model for his son. But you know what? No matter how hard parents try sometimes, no matter how hard we strive to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, some of them are going to go astray. It breaks our hearts. And it causes a lot of grief and heartache in that respect. And again, that's when we need God with us. We start thinking about the idea that Ahaz was rotten literally to the core. And then Ahaz, interestingly enough, has a son by the name of Hezekiah, who was one of the very best kings that Judah had. Again, it emphasizes that a lot of times, children don't always follow in their parents' footsteps. God was displeased with King Ahaz. If you read the context here, it came in the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that reasoned the king of Syria. Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And God gives Ahaz an opportunity. He says, in essence, ask me anything and I'll do whatever you want. And Ahaz says, I'm not going to test God. It's because he didn't believe that God was going to do what he wanted. And he was wanting to do exactly what he wanted to do anyway. So in essence, he rebuffed God's challenge, God's desire to help him. He rebuffed that and in essence says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to test the Lord. And God, through Isaiah, gets a little bit miffed about that. You don't want God mad at you. What happens he says, here now, verse 7, chapter 7, verse 13, here now, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but you will, will you weary my God also? The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Before the child knows to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both of her kings. You see, God said, I'm going to send a son. I want you to notice he emphasizes here, look very closely, I'm reading from the New King James Version. He said, when the virgin, a specific virgin, a virgin girl that had never known a man, and a very specific one. And so we start going from here in Isaiah all through Jeremiah and we start looking and where's this, this promised seed? Where's this promised one that's going to always be with us? Whose name is actually called Emmanuel? 
God with us. When is it going to happen? God's timing is not our timing, right? We want God to do what we want him to do right here, right now. And the reality is, is God has plenty of time because after all, God is eternal. There is no time limit with God. He will always know the best time under every circumstance. He will always know the best time to help us. Sometimes, as we're going to look through this a little bit more, we're going to see the idea that sometimes we again are just totally amazed in awe, but also shaken to our very inner being when he doesn't do things the way we expect him to. Oh, that Tommy may always remember, God does not answer to me. I answer to him. The fulfillment of the prophecy is found in Matthew chapter 1. And again, we always read this usually around Christmas time, but I submit unto you, I don't think it's necessarily in winter, but I think it's during the springtime. And I don't know how many of us have really, really delved into the story in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After giving this long lineage of his, his, his birthright, after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Let's stop for just a moment. Remember back in Isaiah 7, 14, the virgin shall bear a child. This is the virgin. But I want you to put yourself in Mary's place for just a few minutes. You ladies probably can understand this better than anybody else. She's been engaged to this man, and they're looking forward to the wedding ceremony, and they're looking forward to the whole idea of, of getting married. And then all of a sudden, according to what we read right here, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Gentlemen, I want you to think for just a moment. If your wife had come to you or your fiancé had come to you before you got married and said, I'm with child, you'd automatically be thinking, uh-huh, all right, we need to talk about this, right? And more than that, what would you do? You wouldn't believe her, especially if she said, God said, I'm the virgin. You remember the virgin back there in Isaiah 4, 7? I'm it. Oh, yeah, right. I bet, I sure bet that's going to happen. And what does the Bible say? Matthew tells us he is a just man, and he did not want to make her a public example. That says something about how much he loved this girl, how much he loved this lady, this woman. He could have brought her out in front of everybody and shamed her. And we have records in the Scripture and John and other passages where people would actually do that, right? To try, to try to trip Jesus up somewhere or another. The woman taken in adultery. So he minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this was done so that it might be fulfilled by the 
Lord through the prophet, saying, The virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him to his wife. Now, we don't see the whole picture here. Whenever she had been found, it seems like if you're reading Matthew's account, it just keys in on what Joseph did and Mary and how he accepted her. But when you go to Luke's account, you get a little bit more of the story. In Luke chapter 1, he emphasizes again this whole idea. And, and again, it's an interesting thing when you start trying to put it all together, add it all up. But what begins to happen, it starts off with the announcement of John the Baptist's birth to an older lady, Elizabeth, who had pretty well given up any hope of ever having a child. And as you read through the account very closely there, Luke chapter 1, you see that an angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias. Zacharias saw him. He didn't know what in the world was going on. And, and as a result of Zacharias' lack of faith, he had to be quiet for about six or seven months or longer. <laughs> the thing I love about this is if you read the account in Luke chapter 2, it says specifically that Mary went to see Elizabeth. And one thing I thought about as I was restudying this and thinking about this for just a minute. <clears throat> Mary goes to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is probably the only woman in the world that could even begin to understand what Mary was going through at that moment in time. Was it before Joseph had heard or received the message from the Lord before that? How was she going to explain this to Joseph? We don't know the exact timing of all of this. But as we begin to play it out and as we begin to think through these things in our minds, it's extremely interesting that she goes and talks to her cousin Elizabeth. Ladies, sisters, I know that there's just some things you can't talk to men about. Ladies, I want you to understand there's some things men can't talk to you about. That's the way God made us. I'm not apologizing for it. It is what it is. And that's where we get 90% of the jokes about married women and married men and all this other stuff, right? You know what I'm saying. In the sixth month of... Elizabeth's conception. That's whenever Mary conceived Jesus. You shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And she said, how can this be, seeing I know not a man, and the Spirit shall come upon you and overshadow you, and the one that is going to be born to you shall be called the Son of God. And think about Elizabeth. She's six months pregnant now. Go see her. And that's exactly what she does. 
And so after spending that time with Elizabeth, she magnifies the Lord. What a beautiful song beginning in verse 46 and going through verse 56 where she praises God. She just allows God to use her the way God intended for him, her to. And we remember that she's going to be with Jesus from the time that Jesus is born. She's going to be one of the women at the tomb when he's buried. She follows her son because he's her son. He's her son. Thinking about the angels singing, the shepherds coming to see him. Notice it's not kings, it's not priests, it's not the Levitical tribe. Shepherds, we're told. We find, in, again, back in Luke chapter 2, he is then circumcised according to the law. And brothers and sisters, I challenge you to think about this fact, that this is God's magnificent obsession. Prophesied about back in Genesis chapter 3, going through all the Old Testament, you see these hints over and over and over again about the coming Son, the Son of God Himself, Emmanuel, God with us, People continuing to hoping, probably thinking, well, if we, if we get Messiah here, then, then we won't be conquered by any other nation. We will be on top of the world. But you see, what are they thinking? Arms and might and military. If we just get the right guy to be and Messiah to, serve, or to, to, to do what we're asking him to do, then guess what? We're not going to have to worry about anybody else. We will be the people. They, the Jews didn't even have a clue that there was more to it than just them. I wonder sometimes, do we really realize God's magnificent obsession? When man sinned in Genesis chapter 3 at verse 15, he foretold of the virgin birth. And he emphasized the idea it's not his and her seed, but her seed. And then this seed was going to come through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the tribe of Judah. And I call this, I call this magnif God's magnificent obsession because this is what God had planned before the foundation of the world. Before he even created us, he knew what we would do. He knew how we would sin. He we knew how depraved we could become. He knew what we would do to one another. He knew all of this. But he still went ahead with his plan. And that's just blows my mind sometimes. God, if you knew all this was going to happen and you went ahead with it anyway, why in the world? God doesn't have to answer to me or you or anybody else. He's God. But here's the thing. He loves every person on this planet so much that he sent his son to die for every one of us. We agree with that statement we believe that statement we're Christians because we believe that statement and we're trying to live according to what he says because of that statement but I just want to challenge you to think about the fact that God got in this mess with us in all this sin and everything else he got in this mess one person wrote it this way and I never will forget this and I hope maybe you might think about this. If you need to, listen to it again later. 
Somebody said this, people are a mess, and when you mess with people in a mess, you get in a mess. But God saw the mess we were in and sent Jesus to come into the mess to save us from the mess. And I said, amen. That's the story of the Bible. That's the story of what he came to do. God sent his son to come to this messed up world to save us from the mess we created and what we live in. I think sometimes in my life, and you probably have to admit it in yours, that we're surrounded so much by sin and everything that it doesn't seem to affect us anymore. Not too long ago, my wife and I decided, you know, we're tired of watching television, so we're going to start watching some of the old shows. So maybe then it'd be all right, you know, you know at least there won't be any cursing or anything like that. Started watching Gunsmoke. INSP. INSP, okay? And you know what dawned on me about two or three weeks? Somebody's going to die in every episode. You know what I'm saying? I don't mean that ugly. I'm just telling you the truth. Somebody's going to die in every episode. Somebody's going to get shot killed. And we wonder today where our kids get some stuff. We grew up with it. We do the same thing. That's why they've got these games out here and everything like that. People are a mess. And whenever you start messing with people in a mess, you're going to get in a mess. And folks, we can't save ourselves from this mess. That's why he decided to send his son. That's what the gospel is all about. Jesus came to this earth, but he didn't lower himself to be a part of the mess. He did not sin. If he had sinned, we wouldn't, we wouldn't even be here to talk about this. There would be no hope. There would be nothing. No joy, no chance. But I want you to notice, as you see these stories in Matthew 1, Luke 2, John, John even goes beyond that and emphasizes to us a little bit more. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Everything we think about God, every characteristic of God, Jesus is. Every characteristic we think about the Spirit, Jesus and God are. In the beginning was the Word. In other words, before there was a beginning, <laughs> He was there. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. We often talk about and teach our children. God made the world, amen. But who actually did it according to John 1? It was the Son. It was the Son. All things were made through Him. Without Him was nothing made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And John, the apostle, then says, listen, he's not the guy we were looking for. The man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And John, by the way, and we all remember this story, Matthew 14, how he got to give his life because of his testimony of Jesus and because of his butting heads with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said he wasn't that light, but he was the witness of that light that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. 
He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Sadly, the world still doesn't know him. I know, we in the church do. And as I get to the end of the lesson, I hope to challenge you about some things that, that I thought about as I was trying to get all of this, work all this through. But I just challenge you to think about the idea that he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Let me just briefly say the world does not know him today because we, church, are not doing a great job in spreading the gospel. The only hope man has is Jesus Christ. Amen. That's it. That's the only hope. We can't elect a president or representatives or senators or anybody else to save this world. Jesus has already done it. We just need to tell the world about it. He came to his own and his own did not receive him, but as many received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now notice, all through this verse, verses 1 through 13, he's emphasized the word. He calls him the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Now what? Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He said the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. We know about God. We know about what God wants by looking at the life of Jesus Christ. And here's the main thing that we need to be telling people. God wants all people to be saved. He wants us all to be with Him in heaven. He wants us all to be able to live with Him forevermore in heaven. But God loves us enough, just as a parent does, to allow us to make mistakes that's going to affect us. Because sometimes... Some of us are hard-headed, and we have to learn the hard way. I grew up on a farm. I learned a lot of things you don't do on a farm. How did I learn them? The hard way. I'm challenging each and every one of us to think about the idea that as he became, that God became man, God is trying to tell us, I want you to be with me. And he also is emphasizing to all of us that we can't save ourselves. We can't do enough good works. What was the purpose of the Old Testament law? We know that the Hebrew writer emphasizes the idea that, that the reason why God gave the Old Testament law was to show us how good we would have to be all the time to be able to make it. And the reality was there wasn't a person on the planet that could do that. Except Jesus. Think about the idea. He wants us to be with him. He knew that we could not save ourselves. So he sent Emmanuel, God with us. Now what are the implications of this? Number one, I think about the fact that Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted and tested. He knows what it's like to be tempted and tested. 
And I'm grateful for the fact that he sent his son, that his son was willing to come so that he could be with us, so he could understand. He understands what it's like to be tempted. But he also, and I thank God for this, he did not give in to sin. Because if he did, we wouldn't hear even, even here discussing this whole thing. No. Secondly, Jesus knows what it's like to live as a human being. He knows the trials. He knows the foibles. He was, Hebrews 4.15, tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. And he emphasizes to us that he knows the hurts and pains we go through. One of the most touching stories, John 11. When he wept at Lazarus' tomb. But he knew, he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But Jesus wept. His heart was broken because Lazarus had died and, and Mary and Martha were weeping. And they, they said, Lord, if you'd been here, this, nothing, this wouldn't have ever happened. Jesus says, you're going to see greater things than these. The challenge that Jesus gives for each and every one of us, he lived a life of faith, total, 100% faith in his Father and the Father's Word, and that's the reason why we are challenged to do the same thing, that we walk in his steps, that we live by faith. And brothers and sisters, he showed us that we could do it. Tommy, I'm not going to talk about y'all. Y'all talk about yourself in the mirror when you get home, all right? That's what I'm going to let y'all do. But Tommy knows his weaknesses. Tommy knows the struggles that he has. Tommy knows Tommy can't save himself. No other person on this planet was born of a pure virgin. There are some that are trying to say that Christianity borrowed the ideal of virgin birth. But you go back and you study some of those stories, there's nothing like what you read in Matthew's account and Luke's account. It's just another way that the devil's trying to come at us some way, somehow or another. The bottom line is, is that God came in Jesus. And he's with us. He's with us. So because of that, what are the implications? What are some things that we need to learn? What are some things that we need to talk about? Number one, as I said a moment ago, John is very specific and clear. We read John 1, 1 through 14. But notice the emphasis here is that Jesus is God as well as man. John is very specific about that. The crux of Christianity depends upon Jesus being God and being man. Thank God that he came. And as we think about this even more, we have to realize that our salvation depended not just on the fact that he was divine and he came as God in the flesh, but our salvation also depends on his humanity as well. 
born of a woman, eating earthly food, watching the injustices that was going on in his world at that time. Some people sit back and say, when is God going to get everything straightened out and, and work it all out? I don't know when it's going to happen, but I do believe it's going to happen. Jesus lived in a time when you think about all the problems we have nowadays with racial injustice, that thing was the same thing was going on between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was going on from nations to nations. They had wars over and over and over again. Everything that we have in this planet right now, it was been going on for years. It was going on when Jesus was here. And the thing that we need to understand and grasp beyond any shadow of a doubt is that it took Jesus to come as a human being to live his life as all of us would live and to eventually die on the cross. Death. When we think a lot about Emmanuel, Jesus, with us, I've given a lot of thought to that over the last couple of years in my own life. I don't always understand it all. You're looking at a man that for many, many years worked at funeral homes from time of death until we, we buried him. You're looking at a guy that preached so many funerals that, that I don't even keep count of them anymore. But nothing shook my soul like it did back in January 2021 whenever I lost my son. I've lost my dad. That's normal things, right? Lost my mom. That's normal. You're not supposed to bury a son. And as I was thinking about when Kyle asked me about this, I wanted to really sit down and study this idea of God with us. Think about the idea of how he conquered death. And brothers, sisters, this is encouraging. This is really encouraging. I just challenge you to think about it. Death was as common then, maybe more so than it is now. And the pain of death. How many of us have been to the hospitals to see somebody that we love in a great deal of pain? How many times have we gone to funeral homes to bid somebody that we knew or loved farewell? You know the hurt. You know the pain. You know what's going on there. And we have to sit down and ask ourselves the question, why? We'll go back to Genesis. There's the why. Man decided not to stay with what God said. Man decided to do things, to quote a song, my way. And as a result, we've got all the mess that we've got in the world. Well, God's going to guys to do something about it. Let me tell you, God has already done something about it. So think about this idea. Think about how death itself is physically painful. But also think about those of us that are alive and how painful that is as well. We can get over the physical pain, but the emotional pain, not so much. And when Jesus was raised from the grave, he forever broke Satan's power over death. Satan has nothing else to say. Yes, we will die physically. 
unless the Lord comes again. If he comes again, according to 1 Corinthians 15, we shall all be changed in the moment in the twinkle of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible. And we who are living shall be able to meet the whim with the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Do you look forward to that day? I do. I do. I do. Think about the idea. Jesus probably saw a lot of death. Maybe even a lot more than we can ever possibly imagine. It wasn't just, just Lazarus. But think about the idea of many people would come and try to talk to him and ask him to raise some loved one from the grave. We only read three accounts. But you also think about this. It's, it's not just about physical death and being resurrected. But Jesus came to deal with the bigger death. The spiritual death. The death that's going to keep us away from God throughout eternity. And Jesus had to shed his blood. I don't know that we really even begin to comprehend the amount of pain and struggles that he went to on that cross. Not just because of the physical aspect by itself. They had beaten him. Blood was pouring from everywhere. They had mocked him, spit upon him. They had done all of this, nailed him to the cross. He has to, and I'm sure you've heard the story, literally raise himself up on the nails just to be able to get a breath of air. There is that panic whenever you just can't breathe. He's a human being just like every one of us. Could God have stopped it? Yes. But if he did, again, we wouldn't be here this evening. The thing is, he came to die. And so we are saved by the blood of Christ. And what he's showing, again, more than anything else, is God's magnificent obsession of wanting every person to have a chance to be able to live with him forevermore in heaven. He still gives us the choice. He still gives men the choice, but he's saying, I've done all of this. Whenever you see him dying upon the cross, see God's love. See his pardoning grace. Sometimes we get the idea that God's against us. He's not. He's been for us all along. And it took the death of his son, God in the flesh, to take care of it. When he comes again, he will not come to die. He will come to judge. Paul warned those on the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17. He emphasized to them that this man that we're preaching was raised from the grave. And one day he's coming to judge the world. He came the first time to save us. He's coming the second time to judge us. And brothers and sisters, it just challenges each and every one of us to think about how we're where I need to be. If we have followed him closely, he is on our side. The blood of Jesus, his son, continually cleanses us from sin. And all I have to say to that is hallelujah, amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you.
because you see a lot more about this thing than I do. He's not our adversary. I've had people say, well, I, I think God's left me. No, 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 God hasn't left anybody. You've left him. He's waiting for you to come back. He's not going to force you. It's your choice. It's my choice. He loves us enough to give us the choice. Just like a loving parent will try to teach their children what they need to do, but there comes a point when a parent has to allow the children to bear the consequences of their actions. Amen? <clears throat> so I close with this idea. only could speak 40 minutes. I don't know how long I've been speaking, but anyway. What can we learn about Jesus being with us? Number one, if Jesus is with us, if Jesus God is God with us, we need to love him. We need to love him heart, mind, soul, and strength. Listen to John 15. As the Father loved me, I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Christian, how's your joy? How's your joy? Think about that for a moment. Sometimes some of us aren't all that happy, and you're looking at a guy that struggled with a lot of this. He says, that things I've spoken, that my joy may remain in you, the joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than to what? Lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus literally, before he went to the cross, tells them, that's exactly what I'm going to do, and you're going to see it. He said, the things I've heard from the Father I make known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. What's he challenging them to do? He says, I want you to love me as much as I love everybody else, and I want you to go out there and start spreading the gospel to the world. The last thing we very find Jesus recording saying in Matthew's account is going to all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature, right? Matthew 16, 15 and 16. And isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting in Matthew 28, the last sentence in that statement in the book says what? And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. God with us. Jesus is saying to those men, I will be with you as you go out there and spread the gospel to the world. Brothers and sisters, that's the challenge. If I love him, I will love him enough to do what he's told me to do. If, if Jesus is God with us, then I need to obey him as I would the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. We all know that this ideal of believing in Jesus is more than just saying, I believe, and that's all. We know there's more to it than that. It means actually living the life because we believe that this word is truth. We obey him as he obeyed the Father. Well, now, Tommy, you're asking for perfection. No, I'm just asking you to do what the Lord says you to do. We're not going to be perfect. He knows that. That's why he came to this earth, remember? Thank God for his grace. And that necessarily means that we must trust him in his grace, even when our emotions tell us differently. A lot of Christians, and you're looking at one, and I'm being very honest with myself, but you, a lot of Christians walk around with a ton of guilt. 
can't let go. Things just, just eat at them and eat at them and eat at them. And after a period of time, I believe it's Satan really working to try to get us to just give up. I've met a lot of Christians like, I, I can't ever be good enough. God knows you're not going to be good enough. That's why he sent his son. He is good enough. He took care of it for us. Let it go. Oh, I'm not quoting the song there, but you know what I'm trying to say. Just let it go. If God has forgiven you, let it go. Where's your joy? Where's my joy? Brothers and sisters, we don't have it because we keep carrying this burden that God has already forgiven. If Jesus is God with us, then we have to try to imitate him. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also the harsh. He's talking to servants there that actually had to work for other people, slaves even. And he's talking about these Christians, that Christian servants. He said, now this is what you need to do. He said, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. What credit is it if you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But if you do good and suffer, you take it patiently. This is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Brothers and sisters, you're going to be suffering here on this earth. All right. But realize that the suffering is worth it. Whenever Jesus died, he did not revile. He did not curse them. Into your hands I commit my spirit. He committed himself, the Bible says, to him who judges righteously. In other words, he allowed himself to be crucified because this was the plan of God before the foundation of the world. God's magnificent obsession. <clears throat> if Jesus is God with us, we must continually worship him. Is he worthy of praise? Yes. We praise him for his love, for his salvation, for his example. We go to worship. Do we really engage in our worship, thinking about what he's done for us? Finally, if Jesus is God with us, and he is, his death, burial, and resurrection gives us hope beyond this life. I don't know how many funerals I've done. There are some I wonder, but you know what? I'm not the judge. I try not to make the judgment calls. But I do know this. As children of God, we ought to believe and look forward to that resurrection. And until that time, we need to live our lives in such a way to where everybody knows whose side we're on. Again, brothers and sisters, I think we have become, and I, I'm talking to myself too. I, I've been preaching this and thinking this a lot lately at South Cobb and so forth. So may it be that many people are not listening to our message because they're not seeing us live that message. That's on us. Thanks be to God. He can forgive us and give us the strength to go on. He promises to be with us. If 
we just do his will with all our hearts. As I said, I've given a lot of thought to this. And I'm grateful that I'm able to preach this particular lesson. Thank you for your attention. If you're not a Christian this afternoon, you can do something about it. And I want you to know that every drop of blood that Jesus shed will cover your sins, just as it covers every other Christian's. If you're not yet a Christian, here's your opportunity. You could submit unto Jesus. Simple faith. Don't trust yourself that I'm going to be better after this. Well, you might be. Hopefully you will be. Hopefully you'll grow to that point. But you've got a lot of growing to do. Have enough faith in him to believe that he is going to forgive you. Repent of your sins. That's what they were told on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 319. Be willing to confess him before men. Matthew 10, 22 and 23. And, and then what? Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That's where you come into contact with his blood that washes away all the sins. Now, most of us know that. We've heard this preached over and over again. But again, sometimes some of us, some of us still struggle. Lord don't want you to struggle. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to know the relationship you have with him is all right. But you've still got to trust him. But Tommy, I still sin. He knew we were going to. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to what? We know the passage. Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God for that we can help you this evening. We sing this invitation song while we stand and sing.